Welcome to the inaugural Black Lines and Billables podcast. I'm Christian Lang, founder of Black Lines and Billables. And today we are going to kick off our podcast series with a brief introduction to the project. And to help us discuss the background, I'm here with a very good friend of mine and contributor to the blog, Patrick Delaney. Thanks, Christian. It's uh, such a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to kick things off by flipping the script here. Uh, you will be the first guest on the Black Lines and Billables podcast. It's a big, big get today. <laughs> it, is, it is a huge win for this podcast straight out of the gates. Um, why don't you start by telling us about yourself a little bit, um, how you arrived at the position that we're in? Well, sticking to the relevant legal background. So I, I went to NYU Law School and graduated back in 2010. Uh, I spent a year clerking on the 11th Circuit, after which I joined Davis Polk and Wardwell here in New York. Uh, was an M&A lawyer, spent a few years in our London office as a corporate generalist doing a lot of capital markets work as well. Came back and left the firm about a year ago uh, to start a number of projects, one of which was the blog Black Lines and Billables. Fantastic. And so everybody has the other side of the table here at our inaugural podcast. Uh, My name is Patrick Delaney, and I am one of the in-house counsel at PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. Uh, I was also uh, an M&A associate at Davis Polk and Wardwell for a number of years, uh, which I hope qualifies me to be the interviewer in this situation. I think more it's more your sparkling personality. Than well, y- you know, I was hoping it was my dulcet tones as well, <laughs> which, by the way, is not a Brooklyn accent for those following along at home. <laughs> I am, in fact, a, an Australian, if you hadn't mm-hmm. already guessed. But moving on to more substantive matters, tell us about black lines and billables. Uh, where did it come from to start with? Sure. Um, it- in the first instance, it came from what I think is a fairly universal experience for junior associates at large law firms, which is one of just, I won't say sheer terror, but like pure baptism by fire on just innumerable aspects of life where really without being told exactly what to do or how to do it, you're just expected to jump in the deep end of the pool and swim. Um, and I myself had a number of experiences where I would do that and you'd struggle through something and get to the other side and look back and be like, well, I guess that wasn't that hard, but why didn't somebody just, why did I have to struggle through that? Why didn't somebody just tell me that? Uh, and then as I proceeded my career and became more senior and started training juniors myself, I got to see that experience through the, on, you know, the other side of the table, um, and would engage in lots of training of junior associates uh, in teaching the same things time after time. And I finally decided that somebody just needed to write some of the stuff down. So I started working on a book. And I realized pretty quickly that the content, it would be a lot more valuable for that to be kind of a dynamic and crowdsourced thing where more people are contributing to it and the information can kind of change and evolve and be responsive to what people are wanting to know as opposed to just memorializing it once and publishing it. So uh, when I left the firm, the first thing I did was learn a tiny little bit about web development, throw out this blog, and, and started publishing posts. It, it, it is a really interesting experience for those of us who've, who've lived it. I remember my first year as, a, as an associate was pretty much spent in a, a state of sheer terror. And uh, the, the sense that everything was on fire uh, is a pretty common one. And I'd like to think that... Uh, Black lines and billables can sort of act as a little bit of a firefighter in this situation, and you can learn some of the experiences that other people have to offer. Which brings us to the next and probably most important question, what is it? Tell us about B&B. 
Black Lines and Billables is a blog and web forum that focuses on sharing practical tips and tricks for success among big law associates. Uh, think of it as, as the practical kind of tricks of the trade as to how you actually do the job in practice. And we try to focus on the types of things you don't learn in law school and that are usually not parts of the formalized training programs at law firms, That those interstitial bits, the kind of the practical stuff of how you actually do, do the job day to day and stay up to speed in, in this kind of frenetic, crazy, large law firm world. So let, let's talk a little bit um, about the, the structure and the content uh, of Black Lines and Billables. I noticed that you've laid it out in, in a number of sort of different series. Can you talk us through what, what you have and, and what you're planning to do? Sure. Um, so the, the core content of the blog is kind of focused in, in a category that we just call associate success and development. The original content was drawn from that book I started drafting, and a lot of it was focused very much for the the most junior ranks, you know, as like essentially a kind of a crash course of like how you get up to speed starting on day one through your, your first six months, first year. How do you kind of learn the ropes and get up to speed in Excel? Uh, and so I, I kind of dubbed that uh, the Big Law Basics series, and it's, it really is just that that first year crash course, essentially. And then um, I also had some content that was more broadly applicable to kind of associates at all levels of seniority and have kind of put that under the label, the associate angle. And so for the first, you know, five, six months of the blog, you know, I just kind of put my head down and tried to populate it with a critical mass of content. And it kind of fell into those two core series. Um, both both with great alliteration, amazing alliteration. <laughs> for the first two there. I hope I hope that trend holds, Christian. It's true. It's true. I'm doing I'm doing my best. Um, it, well, <laughs> one of the alternative titles for one of the other series would have been alliterative as well. So shoot, missed opportunity. Um, it's never too late. I know you've you've sort of tried to provide some other perspectives too. I, I know partly because I wrote some of the other perspectives. <laughs> but why don't you tell us, you know, you've got this core sort of training modules, if we can call it that, for, for different audiences. I think you've also gone and, and looked outside of the people that are living that experience and, but might have a, a different perspective. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um so thinking about, okay, what, what are the constituencies that are kind of relevant to this discussion and who do associates want to hear from and learn from? Obviously, there's the people like myself who, who have done the job and gone up to a relatively senior level and, and, and learned how to do it well. Uh, at least I, I hope so. You can, you, know, you can make some calls and, and check. Well, we'll look, we'll allow it for the purposes <laughs> of the podcast. Um, but there are you know, a couple of other constituencies I wanted to make sure that we looped in and, and were hearing from. One was the, the partners themselves. Uh, obviously, on a day-to-day basis, you as a junior associate, mid-level associate, the person kind of supervising your work is, the, is somebody like me, is the senior associate. And the, their perspective is obviously going to be very, very valuable to you. But from a career advancement perspective, obviously, the partners are the most you know, important population. So uh, very new series, but we recently launched a View from the Top series where we have partners who have who have were themselves associates, obviously, at one point in time, had successfully, you know, walked the walk and, 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 and grasped the brass ring and, and made, it, made it to the top. We're asking them to describe, you know, one thing that they think makes, it could be a very small, simple tip, but one thing that they think makes an associate a great associate. Uh, and we've gotten off with a couple of great posts uh, kicking off there and have some more in the pipeline. And then the other, the other constituency I wanted to make sure that we were hearing from a critical, Criti- a critical constituency. constituency. Yes, was uh, clients. 
Um, in particular, the, the folks that I thought would have the most valuable insight for current law firm associates are folks who were themselves large law firm associates and then went in-house and are now serving as clients and working with their old firms and other law firms and seeing things now through the lens of the client side. And, and I think it, there's really interesting uh, it's really interesting how that experience informs their understanding of what it means to be effective as an associate. Like it puts it into a whole new light. And I think uh, at the end of the day, providing great client service is what being a good lawyer is all about. Uh, and so I think one of the most valuable perspectives in all this is is the folks on in the in-house kind of client. Look, role. I mean, I'm, I may be a tiny bit biased by being in-house counsel, but I couldn't agree more. Christian couldn't agree more. So you've told us about the view from the top and the view from the client side as well, obviously valuable constituencies. Were there other groups of people that you thought needed specific advice and that you're looking to cater to? Yeah, I, I, I do. In fact, you know, we're kind of in startup mode in the project. So we're, we're trying to do a lot of different things and test a lot of different things and see who reacts to it and what's most valuable. And one of the populations that we wanted to kind of speak to were summer associates because I, I know when I was a summer associate, I remember I you know you get, you get the interview, you get the job, that's great, and you, you're in finals and you're you know you're just busy. But then like all of a sudden, like a week or two before you start at firms, you're like I I know nothing. I I know absolutely nothing about what I'm about to go do. Help! Uh, and I remember looking around and there not being really great sources of information about okay, here's what you need to know. Here's how you have a successful summer and what does that even mean to have a successful summer mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we launched a, a short series recently on tips for summer associates which addresses some of the what, what i view and what some i think we have some guest posters will be weighing in soon like <clears throat> what we view as the most critical aspects of the summer and what you kind of have to do to set yourself up for long-term success during and, a summer and we're not talking here yeah. restaurant recommendations and advice not to get too drunk at the cocktail parties i, I think you're going a little bit deeper than that uh, we are even though i tell you the restaurant recommendations that's great fodder for a forum post. So you kids out there who have great, great summer lunches, let's go ahead and start. I a, per se. Let's start. It's fantastic this time. Of year. Let's start a thread in our forum, which is called the issues list uh, on restaurant recommendations. But yeah, no, it, it is very much focused <clears throat> on more substantive matters. Uh, you know, things things like how how to how to create the right networks within the firm that will serve you well, not just during your summer and help you get offers, which is kind of for most people a foregone conclusion. But put yourself in a position to have a successful longer term career. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have been saved or my life has been uh, made much, much easier as a result of a relationship that was forged for me during my summer. We also want to, we also talk about things like how do you get the right experience that puts you in a position to select the right practice group. Mm. Uh, you know, picking the right firm is incredibly important. But even probably more so, like picking the right practice within firms, I mean, it, it, nothing is irreparable, but it is more than probably anything else starts to kind of set a trajectory for your career and where you're going to end up. And you, there, that needs to be a very deliberate process to, to get the information you need to put yourself in a position to make that decision. And so we talked to that in some of our blog posts. Right. And and so that covers off the uh, summer associates. Have you considered reaching further back into the legal pipeline and helping out some of the students too? Well, it's, it's funny you mention. Uh, I think we are will be launching probably sometime in the next two months a series on tips for law students. Uh, and don't have no fear, law students out there. It will not be me offering the tips for law students since I myself was not an outstandingly good law student. Uh, I was more of a 
Look, this false modesty will not stand. <laughs> no, I, I, I put myself very much in the camp of people who are better lawyers than they were students. Um, yeah, it, well, we don't need to get into it now, but there's, there's a funny <laughs> dichotomy there, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, I, so I, I have uh, some friends, one in particular, who were very successful in law school, and and, and I think I think that success was born from a very deliberate process. And so, in, in, in the same vein of trying to share practical tips and tricks for success, we're going to have some people who who did very very well at top law schools, you know, law review, order of coif, like what you know. Not only people who got great jobs, but did very well in law school, offering some insight into how you go about doing that while, while not losing your mind and getting caught up in the stressful rat race. So, look, let's let's dive in a little bit. I, I want you to give a bit of a teaser of the material on the website. Do you think you could pick out just a couple of your top posts? Tell us a little bit about what they are so that we can have a flavor for the kind of content that you can find on the website. Sure. Uh, happy to. They're... they're Maybe it makes sense. If you go to the website and you look on the front page or if you go into the Associate Success and Development sub homepage, um, you'll find rankings of kind of the most popular posts. And I actually am a big fan of of the ways in which the community has reacted to posts because I think the ones that are – that are shown there's most popular are actually some of the most valuable. Um, so just thinking through what's there, like one of the very first posts that we put out. In fact, I think it was the very first post we wrote was on how to add value on day one. You show up at a firm knowing virtually nothing uh, about real law practice. And it, you know, most of that's on the job training, but that takes time. So how do you actually add value on day one? And we focus on on you know finding identifying things you can get right and getting them 100% right and knocking, them out, knocking it out of the park. And through, in, in one sense, that sounds completely intuitive and not at all revolutionary, but we, we delve a little bit deeper and talk about how that experience looks, you know, what you, what you should be doing and, and how that looks from the senior perspective in a way that you might not anticipate. And also what are some of the long-term implications of doing things a particular way versus not that you might not anticipate that you actually that give you self-interested motivations to do things. Mm-hmm. So we talk about that. We have, um, some of our, some of our posts are very much kind of nuts and bolts, uh, posts that talk about real tangible things. One great example of that, one of our most popular posts is on the staffing meeting. So, you know, you get new matters because somebody calls you up and says, hey, will you help partner X or senior associate Y with project Z? And you might not think about it at the beginning of your career when your instinct is just to grab a notebook and scurry to someone's office, that there are some very small things you can do to dramatically change your ability to set yourself up to succeed. So uh, we, we, we talk in a very specific kind of tangible way about the strategies you can use when you get that call to gather as much information as you can to to get the information out of the meeting that you might not otherwise be getting and really put yourself in a position to succeed. Uh, and and that, that's been a phenomenally uh, popular post and, and people really like that because it's very tangible. Uh, similarly, you know, we have a post on how to ask questions and, you know, uh, a lot of people are very concerned in law firms about the optics and their reputations and, and sometimes are a little bit fearful about asking for help and asking more senior people questions. And we talk about kind of when are the right times to do that, when are the wrong times to do that. And when you are going to ask a question, how you should do it. Uh, and there are some very specific ways I think you can really set a tone and 
just set some atmospherics that, that put you in a very positive light versus not. Uh, so you're saying there are some stupid questions. You know. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are a couple at least. I think there may be a couple and even more so. There's questions that can be asked in a stupid way. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And so we, we try to help people avoid that pitfall. And again, th- these are things that are not unintuitive from a junior perspective, but it really helps to have gone through the process of being a junior, mid-level, senior, and then had you know dozens of juniors come to you in different ways and un- be able to now speak to, this is how it comes across to the senior. Mm-hmm. And so this is why you should be choosing these words or framing it in this way and in, in, in doing it at this time. And so we try to address some of those very specific things in those posts. And then we also, in, in addition to those nuts and bolts, we deal with some higher macro themes and talk about one, you know, one of the most important themes is how you, as a junior lawyer in a large firm, take charge of your own development and own it and, and put yourself in a position to improve w- without being dependent upon a formalized training program at a firm. I actually think from a training perspective, you have the ability to give yourself using some very specific kind of approaches and mindsets and exercises that we talk to, particularly in a post called the best training you will ever receive. Um, how you go about taking charge of your own development in a very particular way that will reap rewards that far exceed anything you could get just by kind of being a, a passive passenger on the training train at your particular firm. Well, look, we've covered a lot of ground. You, Christian, have covered a huge amount of ground in a very short period of time with Black Lines and Billables. Let me ask, you know, what what's coming up? Are there other areas of interest to you that you're going to focus on? What What's coming down the pike? Yeah, sure. So um, in addition to this associate success and development content, we relatively recently launched a bit of coverage on legal tech. Um, and that's born out of, in part, just my personal interest, um, because I think it's a fascinating area of technological development at the moment. Uh, and I have a, I'm working myself working on some legal tech related projects, but also, uh, technology is, is actually a really important part of kind of the associate experience and associate life and associate satisfaction. So there are some really interesting intersections. So it, uh, it looks a, a bit schizophrenic, our kind of programming through a certain lens, but through another lens, I actually think they're, they're quite, they integrate in a quite natural way. So, um, in the coming months, we will be building out the legal tech coverage, um, talking about any number of things like our most popular legal tech post to date talks about AI and um, kind of how it can affect the practice of law and why lawyers in, in fact shouldn't be afraid of that change well, that's coming. Let, let me ask you that question should should we all be terrified that robots will take our, our jobs as lawyers or or you think we should remain calm i think i think we should remain calm i i i think when you start to dig into what there's some incredible and fascinating things happening on that front and in fact in certain very targeted ways um, artificial intelligence is becoming immensely powerful and can do really incredible things. Like there, there's a guy, a, a, graduate, a Stanford graduate paper program. This guy developed essentially this image recognition type of, of AI that allowed him to diagnose uh, melanoma, like you know, skin cancer, as effectively as a board-certified dermatologist just by taking a picture of it. Um, and you're like, wow, that's that's actually replacing real, like a real professional task. And it, it could be a little bit scary to somebody like a lawyer. But at the end of the day, when you start to learn about how existing AI works, there's A, there's a lot of need for actual human interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, I, I'm actually not, I, I, I think 
when most people went to law school to practice law and they, you know, they, they didn't, they want to be a glorified paper pusher. They were like, they wanted to do certain types of tasks and provide certain types of advice. And I think a lot of lawyers, it'll be great if we can clear some, some of the ministerial paper pushing that could actually be displaced. Um, by artificial intelligence will just kind of push lawyers into a place where they have to be engaging in the more high value work um, to, to you know get paid. But that's actually the kind of work that we all wanted to be doing in the first instance, right? Yeah. And if we were in a market where like the market for legal services was entirely saturated, that could be really scary because even those ministerial tasks, you're like, oh, well, some lawyers are going to be kind of not able to make ends meet anymore. But I actually am a believer, and I think a lot of people are believers that um, the market for legal services is much, much, much broader than what's currently being served. And so uh, automating certain tasks and bringing artificial intelligence to bear on certain tasks actually might allow us to be st- to start servicing aspects of the legal services market that are currently underserved and promoting access to justice in a way that's valuable. So I think there's lots of reasons why that's not particularly scary. Or, it, well, at least should be more exciting than it is scary. Right. Um, and that's really, I, I mean, AI gets a, a lot of coverage, but it's it's the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, when I think about the pain points for me as an associate, like redlining, mm-hmm. right? Like get, getting it to actually work every time consistently, version control, where, where to find documents in the system. Somebody says, well, look, we're, I need a warrant with these following characteristics. And I'm like... I know it's out there. Yeah, God only knows how I'm going to find it. But right. but yeah, so so really interesting, and I, I tend to agree with you. It's it's sort of part of our day to day in in this really tightly bound way now. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it, and and I think what I'll, what we'll try to do, we're, we're going to do a number of things on the legal tech front. We might we might very well do some product comparisons. Like for example, there's there's a lot of new kind of contract. Well, contract automation from the drafting side, but particularly contract analysis tools that claim to be able to leverage AI to analyze contracts and kind of flag for you what you need to do. And really, you know, and some of them claim to be able to do that without ever you, the lawyer, having to put eyes on the contract itself. You can just kind of look at a summary table. And I think it might be really interesting to pull down a a set of test docs from Edgar and actually run some side-by-side comparisons of these things and see how they perform. Um, to do some maybe some product reviews. In, in particular, I'm interested when I look at people commenting on legal technology. Um, there's a lot of wonderful, very smart people out there doing writing on it, but most of them, the the ones that are lawyers, and a lot of them are even non lawyers, but the ones that are lawyers are coming from a litigation background. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with the fact that the biggest kind of sub market for legal tech has been e discovery tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I actually think th- there there would be a way a space to add value through like a transactional lens, so in particularly in a large firm lens. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I will look for opportunities to try to offer some sort of commentary or opinion on what's happening from that, things that will affect large law firms, and in particular, but not exclusively, but in particular with respect to, to deal work, um, because I, I do think that's kind of a from. A, an aspect of the comment market that's just kind of unserved or underserved. Yeah, and which is interesting given its, its relative economic size and importance. So you're a busy man, clearly. Like there's a there's a lot going on on black lines and billables, and there's a lot that's been produced already. If you had to, and and you do have to, because I'm about to ask you to. <laughs> if you had to sum it up in in sort of a, a short format, what the mission is, what the purpose is of black line and billables, how how would you do that? What would you say it is? I think we're trying to save people from having the same 
headaches that everyone else has had, and there's no real rationale for people to go through the you know, fall into the same traps and experience the same pitfalls that we all did. It's about sharing information, starting conversations around important aspects of associate life, and in helping kind of crowdsource the right practical tips and tricks for success so people can focus on the stuff that interests them, being a good lawyer the ways they want to be and not focus so much on the footfalls and the silliness and the, and the process elements. So I have the pleasure of sitting across this table from you uh, speaking into a microphone, but it does raise the question, why podcasts? What, uh, what is it about the podcast, podcast format that, uh, that drew you in? Uh, apart from just the opportunity to sit across the table. Even apart okay. from that privilege. I'm a big fan of podcasting for a number of reasons. Um, primarily, I think it's just a great format to explore things in a conversational way more deeply. And so instead of just having a you know three-page blog post, we can have a real conversation that explores some of the nuances that people are probably curious about. Um, it's engaging. Uh, and it's also easy for really busy people to like, you know, do it while they're on the treadmill or while they're on their commute. Uh, I, you know, I listen to podcasts when I run and I, if it were, if I were reading everything, wouldn't be able to do it. So I think it's, it's a great format that we're, we're going to explore and give it a go and see how it works. What can we expect from the future podcasts? Well, um, I, I would like to be able to take a deeper dive into some of these topics. Um, particularly the guest posts, we've got guest posters offering incredible thoughts on some really important topics. It would be great to ask some follow-up questions and tease out some additional themes and, and some information from that. To cross-examine? Exactly. To cross-examine. Please raise your right hand. <laughs> um, so I think that would be great. I, you know, I also think it will be, it'll be a lot of fun to have some interviews with some thought leaders in the relevant areas we're talking about. This could be you know, partners and people who do training on the associate development side and also legal tech founders and, and scholars um, and have some really interesting conversations there. And, and finally, I would, I would, I'm really interested in making sure that our content is responsive to what people want to know. So in that vein, I would love to have our members of our community, you know, asking questions. They can, you know, relay through Twitter or Twitter feed at BNB Legal or by email or post them in the forum on the website, any number of ways. And we can pass those along and really be getting our audience exactly what they're interested in. So maybe we'll have, you know, Q&A sessions uh, and things along those lines. So I know Black Lines and Billables is only one part of the Christian Lang media empire. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about how it fits into uh, these broader projects? So Black Lines and Billables is actually part of a broader project called The Firm Formula that offers you know, trainings, workshops, coaching for associates, and also uh, consulting services for law firms, uh, kind of everything under the sun that relates to associate training. And we've recently launched a meetup. Uh, called Associate Intel. That is, you know, the the goal there is just to have a, a more formal, a, a more informal environment to kind of get associates together where we can try to give them real, candid, kind of straight talk about what law firm life is like and how and how you succeed in that environment. So you, dear listener, could be sitting across from Christian asking your own set of questions at one of these meetups. Potentially, and, and, and probably more valuable to you, uh, some additional guests that we'll, we'll be having along the way at some of these meetups. But just finding ways to kind of get together and have conversations and share information, because the, the goal here is to bring people together and and allow us to benefit from the learning that everyone else has, has accumulated over years of practice. Well, look, this, this has been a great pleasure and a rare opportunity to ask you a, a bunch of questions, Christian. Thank you for inviting me to guest host this um, first Black Lines and Billables podcast. And over to you. 
Yeah, well, Patrick, thank you very much for showing up and uh, adding a little personality <laughs> to, the, to the podcast and lending us a hand. Um, and to you listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Please, uh, if you haven't done it so already, visit blacklinesandbillables.com and have a look at what we're trying to do. Uh, and there's ways you can engage with the community while you're there. We have a newsletter that we that we send out just for new posts and important community announcements. So we don't bombard you with irrelevant stuff. So sign up for the newsletter and follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at BNB legal. Uh, and on Facebook, we're black lines and billables. And that way you can stay abreast of what we're doing, including upcoming episodes of the podcast, which we will announce uh, as and when they are ready. Um, so you can find our podcast in the short term on our website and in the future on iTunes and wherever you find your podcast. Thanks so much for listening.